Okay. Man, I've only got like six more minutes to talk, so this is perfect. <laughs> what a dangerous, dangerous group of men in front of me. Incredible. Um, so what's interesting, before I really jump in here, is that, as David said, you know, I've been privileged to be part of this since 2010, and, and coming here every month for, what is it, six years, five years, ten years, nine years, 2014, whatever that math is, um, and serving and being with you guys and, and getting to enjoy this has been incredible. Um, and we've seen so many speakers come through here. Um, if you would have asked me this morning, hey, Jesse, you know, what, what's this going to be like? It's going to be like Ironman, right? I'm going to show up. I'm going to, oh, yeah, and I, I do get to speak, and that's a privilege. And, but just, just sitting in that corner, having Tom pray for you and all the men pray for you and, and getting my short, stubby pencil instead of the pen that Tom gave me. You know, everybody else gets a pen. Tom gave me a short, stubby pencil um, with checks mixed on it. <laughs> um, and just that welcome. Um, thank you. Appreciate that. Okay, all right, let's, let's talk. So, we are talking about Nehemiah today, right? Who here has been reading the book? Uh, what, what is it, How God Makes Men? A few of us? Okay, beautiful. So, for those of you that haven't, I thought, you know what we need to do? We need to, is it down is forward or up? Down is forward. There we go. We need to just do a very quick review of where we've been so far this year, all right? So, for some of us, we know that we started with Abraham, and this is where God let his men face difficult circumstances to strengthen their faith. And the underlying message there on that topic was embrace the suck, because it's good for you, right? <laughs> Rodney. Okay. All right. Keith, what am I doing wrong here, babe? I know. Seriously, here it goes. I am going to move this right over here. <laughs> You're not getting it. Oh, the computer's there. That's why, because I'm putting it away from the computer. Okay, so while we're doing that, the second month was Joseph, right? And we talked about Joseph from the Bible. Thank you, sir. And that's where God, that's where God has, uh, he lets his men face difficult circumstances for a greater good. He lets them see difficult circumstances for a greater good, right? And here's the deal. I think we've all been through this, and sometimes you don't get to see the results. But there will be a day after you die that somebody will come up and thank you because you actually endured those physical circumstances, just like Joseph did. Then we studied Moses. Thank you. Moses, and this is where God humbles his men to change the way that we think. Right With Moses, he showed us that he will humble us so that we think differently. Has anybody been there? And it's humiliating, isn't it? And people will say that humility is bad. No, not when, it, not when God changes you, not like that. And then we had Gideon. And this is where they, he showed us that God uses his men despite our weaknesses. And that's terrifying. If you've been there and God has called you into a weakness, into your weakness to actually work through you. And it shouldn't work, but it does. That is terrifying. And then we had David, where God pursues his men to restore them. 
but the underlying message there is that it's still going to hurt, right? When you wander away from God, when you rebel and reject God, He will pursue you, He will restore you, but pain comes with it. And then last month we had Solomon, where God doesn't let his men find lasting happiness apart from him. So it kind of feels like a killjoy. You know, if, if you were here for Doug, you know, he had these great successes and they lasted, how long did he say? A day. Can we all relate to that? Yeah, absolutely. Feels like a killjoy, but it actually is to get us to true joy. And so this month we have Nehemiah. So we're on chapter 7, the principle of a passionate calling, how God calls men into action. And we're going to explore two themes. First, we're going to search, talk about how you search for your passionate calling, um, as if your holiness depends on it. And actually, your holiness does depend on it. Your sanctification depends on you pursuing what God has for you. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. If you're like me, maybe you haven't done that. I've searched for it. I'm in some of it. You know, I'm definitely in part of passionate calling that God has given to me, but I have never been intentional to search for it like my holiness depends on it. Pray for me that that'll change. And then we're also going to look at the theme of how we can destroy the stumbling blocks as if your reward in heaven depends on it. Because it does. I want to just let that sink in for a second. Your reward in heaven, your reward after this life. You know, not, I'm not talking your salvation, so please don't start texting David like he's a heretic. I'm not talking your salvation. I'm talking about your reward in heaven. Depends on how well you move those, remove those stumbling blocks and how well you pursue what God has for you. Amen? All right, so that's what we're going to do. So first, when we get into actually uh, searching for your passionate calling, we need to choose awareness. Okay, so some of you know what I do for a living. So me talking about awareness is not necessarily a surprise. I deal with safety and security stuff, and I'm talking about situational awareness all the time. And how do you do that? And, um, but this is, this is similar but it's about choosing to be aware. It's about choosing to see what is going on around you in the world. Um, and I will tell you that uh, I've had many renditions of this. Uh, again, with what I do, I get to uh, research and deal with a lot of things that maybe people don't get to deal with. And I will tell you that back 23 years ago, 22 years ago, I remember when I was studying for um, doing research and building some stuff on terrorism. And in those studies, a couple things happened. Number one, oddly, God used it to bring me to faith. Um, but number two, I learned that slavery is still a thing. And maybe all of you knew that, but I was shocked. You know, and yes, of course, we've heard about things like that, but I learned that, no, there were a lot of people in slavery, that this was still a thing, and that some countries have two sets of books, the set of books that they report to the United Nations that says, no, slavery is bad. And then the set of laws that they actually operate by. Later on, I was in several countries where I actually saw that. And I can't tell you for sure, but I would be in public places and I would say, I know the marks. She's a slave. 
my heart was broken for that. My heart was broken to find out that that was still an issue. I chose to be aware. I chose to look around. I could have just continued living in this beautiful bubble that we built here and say, no, 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 no. Yeah, I know some bad things happen, but we've eradicated that, right? Isn't that the message that we get? We've grown past that. We've evolved. Have we evolved? No. no. So, men, I'm asking you, if you're listening to me saying, okay, yeah, I kind of see that. I'm just going to be very blunt with you. Wake up. There is a lot of brokenness around you. And it's not just politics. Sometimes it's represented in politics. But there is a lot of brokenness around you. Let's see. Ephesians. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for the things that they do in secret are shameful even to a mention. But all things being exposed by the light are made visible. For everything made visible is light. And for this reason it says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You've got to wake up if you're not. And if you are a man and you're awake, and you know another man who isn't, what is your job? I don't want to tell you. You tell me. Wake him up. Wake him up. All right. To search for your passion and calling, we also need to be curious, right? This is similar to being aware, uh, choosing awareness, but we need to be clear, uh, curious. Nehemiah. This is where the book starts uh, that we're actually going through to the, uh, this month. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. Does this sound like a man watching Fox News getting pissed off? Sounds like, this sounds like a man broken. This sounds like a man who is hearing about his people and his heart for his people is such that when he hears that they are in that condition, he sits down and he weeps. But it starts with, right here, asking. He asked. So if you don't know the story of Nehemiah, let me just give you the quick rundown. So about 80 years before this, the Israelites had been taken captive by, in essence, the Babylonians, right? And some of the elite uh, Israelites, elite Jews, were put in positions of power. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, which doesn't sound that impressive to us, does it? But is that like between a busboy and a waiter? Uh, you know, I'm not sure what's the cupbearer. No, the cupbearer was a very important position. It was a safety or security-oriented position because he was responsible for uh, fruit of the vine, wine, and other drink that came to the king to make sure that he didn't get poisoned. Very likely, he also had to know what was good and what was not so good. So this is a very important position that gives him access directly to this king. And when you think of this king, I don't want you to think of King Charles with the United Kingdom. Important position. 
this was way bigger than that, right? This, this was an empire, a significant empire. And he had access. But his heart breaks when he asks the question. And he asks it of his brother. In my world, that's referred to as intelligence. And you cannot gather intelligence if you don't ask the question, if you're not curious. So let me ask you, have you been asking questions about what's going on in our world? I hope so. Or, and this is going to speak to me, are you just responding to what they tell you on TV? Right? Because when you just hear the travesties that are on TV, is that curious or is that reactionary? That is reactionary. Be curious. Look around. Wonder what's going on. Ask questions. And then number three, embrace compassion. As you search for this passionate calling, embrace compassion. In Galatians, we see, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm going to pause there. The same God who calls us to be warriors for Him, calls us to be ironmen, calls us to look at each other and say, stop it. And in return, <laughs> because David left this out, receive it when there's a message for you as well and receive it with humility. That same God calls us also into the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There's no law against those. In fact, what does Jesus say about the law? Yeah, these actually fulfill the law. When we do these things, this is a form of actually doing what God calls. In fact, let's say it differently. When we look at the law, it is pointing us to these very behaviors. So yes, be strong. Yes, be a warrior. And be these as well. Now, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and the desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. So when you embrace compassion, that's great. Have any of you struggled with embracing compassion on certain things? Yeah, I have, right? Sometimes it's hard. Why is it hard? Because we're right. <laughs> because they're wrong. Because we're good. Because they're evil. So, what I would ask you, what I would call you to, is to ask the Spirit. Ask the Spirit to turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. He's done it for me a little bit. I don't know how that works. I don't know how it can be like mostly stone and partially flesh. But it's there. Ask the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is alive. Yes? The Holy Spirit is active. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit will change your heart. You can embrace compassion. And by the way, why is compassion so important for your passionate calling? Why is compassion important? We're all sinners. Yeah. And it works against that very thing that we just said. It works against this judgment, right? There's discernment, right? Just because I'm going to tear down, we're good, they're evil. I'm trying to tear that down. That doesn't mean they're not doing wrong. 
as long as in compassion we remember, so are we. And yeah, I know some of us are going to draw parallels. Yeah, but we're not doing it that wrong. I would agree. We're not killing people. We're not robbing a bunch of banks or causing a bunch of fear. So yes, I agree. There are some differences. Um, but compassion is God's answer. Turning your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Now, I'm going to give you a few minutes at your tables, if you would, and just indulge me on this, because I, you know, I was thinking, do I actually do this like I'm teaching a class? And I'm like, no, I don't want to do it like I'm teaching a class, but I just kept coming back to this. And I thought, I need to give you all just a few minutes to wrestle with this question, with these questions. What great need do you see around you that leads to intense emotions of anger and sadness in you? And why? Because by the way, this is actually, this is where your passionate calling starts. So would you indulge me and just spend a few minutes at your tables in your groups and discuss this real quick amongst yourselves? I'm going to give you just a few minutes. Okay, gentlemen. Thank you for indulging me and having that conversation. <laughs> Keith is going to go ahead and collect what you've written down. <laughs> hey, Ryan, would you mind sharing what we talked about? What breaks your heart? What, what makes you angry and sad? Uh, yeah, I, I shared with you that um, loneliness, uh, speci uh, even specifically men that are feeling lonely, um, disconnection from community and um, what that can do uh, to people. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate that. So here's, here's why I wanted Ryan, because we did not plan that, but we're talking and I'm like, oh, and I look and my next slide is about how do we get past the stumbling blocks? So we have these things that burn in us, like John was talking about, like Johnny was talking about. That, that create anger and sadness in us and we want to see things change. So why don't we? Number one, we're isolated, right? And so when Ryan shared that, I'm like, look at that, you must have wrote this. We have got to crush the sin of isolation. I'm being provocative. Is isolation a sin? It's, we don't talk about it as a sin, do we? But it's a sin, it's a sin. Why is it that I can be in a room full of men who I know and feel alone? That's not about you men. That's about my sin, right? When I choose to actually not accept the belonging that people give to me, the community that's around me, that is my sin. And now there's also the sin of isolation on the other side. When I choose a way of being with men that does not draw them in, that doesn't help them feel belong, like they belong, I'm actually creating or at least adding to their isolation. Do you agree with that? It is a sin and we have got to crush it. And if we don't, you will not be able to actually pursue your passionate calling. In fact, you look at Nehemiah. Here's what's interesting about Nehemiah. So Nehemiah wrote this book, right? I think that's fairly uncontested. It has been 
it has been contested as to whether or not it should be in the Bible in the past by Jewish scholars. And one of the reasons why is because four times in the Bible, or four times at the end of Nehemiah, he says, please, O God, remember, fill in the blank, what I've done. Actually, it's three times, please, O God, remember me for my good works. Remember that I did this. Please, O God, remember that I did this. And that doesn't sound very humble. And the fourth, by the way, is a little problematic. Please, O God, remember what they did. <laughs> And so it was contested in, in, by Jewish scholars whether or not that was really a holy, holy work. And I'm glad that they, they decided the way they did. But you look at Nehemiah, it's all about him. He ends it with, you know, oh God, please remember me. But who did, who did Nehemiah need? Nehemiah was in his position of cupbearer, not because he was great. I'm sure he was great, but he, he became great. He became what he could be because of his family, because of his education because of the way that he was raised. He needed his brother for intelligence, to find out what was going on in Jerusalem. The king, without the king, Nehemiah's story never makes it. There is no story, right? Because the king could have very well just killed him. He said, you know, really, you, you wanna go, this, this is my foe, Jerusalem was my foe, my enemy that I crushed, or that my, my predecessor crushed. Why would we restore those walls? But he needed the king. He needed city leaders once he got to the city of Jerusalem. And now he was strategic. And if you haven't read Nehemiah, it's a, it is a book that is all about leadership and influence. But he needed those city leaders, and he needed the people of the city to actually build the wall. Simultaneously, you've got Nehemiah here. You've got Ezra rebuilding the priesthood. And without the priesthood, what is Jerusalem? Nothing. It's just another outpost. That's all it is. Without the temple at that time, Jerusalem is, is nothing. And of course, who did he ultimately need? And you do not get that in isolation. So let me ask you a question as we move to the next slide. Who do you need? And for those of you who know me well, you know that I'm kind of preaching to myself aren't I? Because I'm an isolationist. Not necessarily in politics, maybe a little bit, but I, I tend to do things by myself. Should I? No. Thank you for speaking truth to me. All right, number two, we need to eradicate compounding losses. So you've all heard of compounding gains or compounding interest. Well, there's also compounding losses. These are the decisions that you made 20 years ago that you've not resolved. These are the relationship dynamics that you allowed to happen in your passivity or through your aggressiveness, two big sins that men struggle with, that still actually are there and you have not resolved these, right? So if you have, uh, use an example, if you have a relationship with your parents where they control you, and they, at 40 years old, they're still telling you what you should and shouldn't do. Does that sound healthy? It's not so healthy because as a 40-year-old man, you should be making decisions. 20 years ago, you should have been actually engaging that conversation. 20 years later, it's not just they control you, there are compounding losses. Every year, they get bigger. Every single year. If we do not eradicate our compounding losses, slide. 
those past mistakes and those relationship dynamics will be an obstacle for you. They will be an obstacle for you. For me personally, I could give you several examples, but I would say that for me, primarily it's been the relationship to my work, right? If I was still with an employer, I would blame that employer, but I'm not, I'm my own employer. Um, so I have to blame myself. And the, re the decisions I made when I was 18, 19, 20, and then when I was in my early 30s as we had children and started having children about how I was going to approach work get in my way today of actually pursuing my passionate calling. So we're not going to talk about this, but what error or sin has not been in, resolved in your life that is creating these compounding losses? I hope you get a chance to reflect on that. Let's hit that next slide. And number three, kill your pride. I've got kind of violent language here this morning, don't I? Crush, eradicate, kill. But it's on purpose. Because I hope what I'm conveying to you is not just a, hey, you know what, I need to think about that. I need to, maybe I should work on that. What I'm conveying to you is a sense of urgency and a sense of maybe, um, in the best way possible, violence. Urgency and violence to actually destroy those obstacles that are in your way that, help, that keep you from pursuing your passionate calling. And so we have Nehemiah. When I heard these things, I sat down abruptly, crying and mourning for several days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Then I said, please, O Lord, of, o Lord God of heaven, have a great and awesome God who keeps his loving covenant with those who love him and obey his commandments. May your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I am praying to you today throughout both day and night on behalf of your servants, the Israelites. I am confessing the sins of the Israelites that we have committed against you. Both I myself and my family have sinned. We have behaved corruptly against you, not obeying the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments that you commanded your servant Moses. So when you think about killing your pride, what should be your first step? A prayer of repentance. The ultimate act of humility. So if you asked yourself that question and answered it and said, yeah, I have some, I have some things. Um, I've got some pride issues. They're in my way. Pray. Ask for repentance. Okay. So, let's wrap this up. Let's, let's land this plane. If you don't know what your passion is, start by praying. Consider fasting. I know for some of us that's foreign. I'm not great at it. And then especially repent. Examine your life. Look for your sin before you go out and try to change the world. Right? Christians love, about change, love to talk about changing the world. We hate to talk about our sin, don't we? Repent. Number two, your passionate calling is personal. For Nehemiah, his calling was big. It made the Bible. That's huge, right? He restored a city. He made a mark on history. Your passionate calling may not to be, be to end slavery. It's actually not mine. As, as much as that broke me, and maybe God will put me in a position one day where I'll make my little mark on that industry, on that problem. What he called me to, what's more important, 
is he called me to be a dad first, right? To try to be a good husband. And then professionally, he gave me a calling of trying to teach people how to think about their world and engage in a safe way and engage in conflict in a way that actually makes things better, not worse. We need a little bit more of that in this world, don't we? You have a unique position of influence. There is no one else at this time, in this place, with the people around you that have the influence and the impact that you have. If you remember that, you actually will maybe step into that. I know most of you do. Ecclesiastes, having heard everything that I have reached, I've reached this conclusion. This is where we ended last month, right? Fear God and keep his commandments because this is the whole duty of man. For God will evaluate every deed, including every single, every secret thing, whether good or evil. Gentlemen, you are the plan. Number three, you're the plan. You're it. God can do it without us, right? Except he chooses to do it with us. So if you know the burden and passionate calling that you have that God placed on your heart and you refuse it, you need to change that. You may not lose your salvation, but you'll lose something, something important. You're going to feel as if your soul is crushed. If you know your burden of passionate calling and you don't know how to pursue it, maybe start working on that isolation issue because you're going to feel as if your soul is on fire. Have you ever felt that before? And that doesn't feel good, but let it drive you. And then if you know the burden of a passionate calling from God and you pursue it, you will, you will feel as if God has used you to restore the worlds. Are you going to regret it? If you, let him, if you let him drive you and you actually pursue that passionate calling, you will not regret it. So men, as we wrap up and I send you out, number one, if I made you feel shame, tell me and I will repent. There is no shame in this. Right? There's no shame. If you're walking out of here saying, yeah, I've got my passionate calling, and yeah, I feel really good about myself. Pride? I'm not here to bolster your pride. We actually need to destroy it. What I want you to leave here with is I want you to feel called. I want you to feel called to listen to God, to open your eyes and ears, to look for something that God can gift you to do, where you can make a mark, whether it's big like Nehemiah or it's small like Jesse, and you can actually feel that, that blessing from God where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Are you in it for that? All right. Gentlemen, you are God's plan. So with that, thank you all. I hope you have a great weekend. Thank you, guys.